Hi team, it's that time again where I have a conversation with another kick-ass person in business. Now full disclaimer, this is not an inspirational business podcast, but you might be inspired. These aren't all going to be success stories, but they are all going to be real stories because I'm not here for the enlightened, fluffy, feel-good version of people's journeys. I want the nitty gritty raw versions. If you're a business owner, freelancer, entrepreneur, creator, or someone with a side hustle, I can guarantee you'll be able to relate to something in this episode because this is what it's really like to take a chance and chase a dream. Don't forget to hit subscribe and slide into my DMs on Instagram if you want to chat. I'm Sean, and this is not an inspirational business podcast. This week's episode is with the founder of WB40. Her name is Sandy and she is a pro-aging advocate. It was created both an online platform and print magazine for women in their 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond. After growing increasingly frustrated by the lack of representation of women beyond the age of 40 in mainstream media, Sandy started writing a blog in 2013, which then became a podcast in 2019. And then in 2020, she launched the WB40 website and they printed the very first edition of their magazine. We spoke about her journey and how she got to where she is today. We also spoke about all of the unexpecteds that come with producing a print magazine as well as some of the roadblocks and barriers that Sandy's had to overcome to prove that this demographic deserves a voice because there is a massive audience for it. As always, I will make sure everything is linked in the description because you're going to want to go and check out this platform, even if you're not a woman over the age of 40. Sandy, thank you so much for joining me today. It's an absolute honor to have you here. Would you like to start off by introducing yourself and telling us what you do? Oh, well, firstly, thank you for having me here. This is very exciting. It's great, actually, to be on the other side of the podcast. So thank you so much. My name is Sandy Lowrys. I am the creative director of a platform I founded. It really is a platform for women who are 40, 50, 60 and beyond. And I started this because there was a massive gap in mainstream media for the stories of women over that age to be told And a lot of women in our age demographic over the age of 40 are largely kind of dismissed and ignored, sadly, or they feel invisible. And that's not just in media, but that's in the workplace. It's in society. It's standing in lines at grocery stores, wherever it may be. And largely, I think that's because we are missing from the larger media landscape. So the platform itself is a website and we create like a lot of free content but people can also subscribe. And we have magazines, both in print and digital. And of course, a podcast called The Good Girl Confessional, where we chat with really interesting women, gay women. And some of them are very, very well known and some of them are not, but we feel that every single one of them should be. I love it. Before we dive all the way into your journey, I really need to acknowledge that I love a good pun. WB40, I, when I first read it, I literally chuckled out loud to myself. Where did the name come from? Was it a coincidence? Was it a fluke or was it planned? I really wanted something to be beyond 40, but the women beyond 40, WB40, was kind of quite humorous. But I just, I really wanted it to be short and snappy as well. But of course, most people think of WD40. And I always like to say WB40 is a lubricant for your mind. <laughs> it just keeps getting better and better. I love it so, so much. It's incredible. So let's start, I guess, pre-WB40 and pre-podcast. What was your business background, career background, life before this? 
life before WV40. I can barely remember it, even though it's only been a few years. Yeah, I've worn so many hats. So I've done everything from management to career EA executive assistant, but I've also been in middle management in corporate organizations. And I, you know, I studied professional writing and editing at university. I've always had a writing background, but I've always done other things, knowing that it's quite difficult in this country to make a living as a freelance writer. But I've always kept my hand in and always really loved that side of things. But, you know, in terms of business, many years ago, I opened or started a boutique dancewear business. And that was really good in terms of how that works and how difficult it can be and all the challenges that so many small business owners face. And it was at, you know, it was a time when I guess, you know, the GST was happening. There was a whole lot of things happening. It was fraught with challenges, but it was a really fantastic and rewarding experience. And I think I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit, if I'm honest. And so I think getting to the age of 50, I just thought all of these things that I've been thinking about for a long time and all of these things that seem to be missing for me, like I can't just go out and buy that magazine or whatever. I just thought now is the time. If not now, then when? And um, with the help of a lot of extraordinary women and um, you know who collaborated, WB40 was launched and, and I'm just massively grateful. But I think I've taken lots of stuff from all of the other roles I've ever held and, and continue to hold because I think we learn so much from every experience and every job that we do, whether it's a career or a, or a stepping stone. I take everything as a learning experience and it's really important, I think. I love that. And I think it's so true. I think so often when you start a business, a lot of people look at it as they have to do something where they already have experience or they already have knowledge. But when you look at transferable skills that you gather you know, throughout a lifetime of work, you already have so much knowledge and experience. You just need to find how we can adapt it into different circumstances. I love that. And I think that is so true. And one person in my life, I mean, I have, I'm so lucky to be surrounded by so many incredible and inspiring women. One woman in particular is Amelia Chilianis, who really pushed me in that direction as well to say, well, let's have a look at all the things that you've done. You've done all these incredible things. And in those moments where I was having imposter syndrome, thinking, yes, I can write an article, but I've never been a magazine publisher and I've never, you know, created like this full-blown website without help. And, and I do have help on that website, by the way. I should make that perfectly clear. Nothing wrong with having a little bit of help everywhere. Oh, be believe me, you know, I couldn't do it without incredible help. But yeah, I think she just really made me see in moments where I was doubting myself that I could draw from other experiences. And the one thing that I have learned and that I stand by, and I, I will say this to every woman in business, never be afraid to ask for help. Because when you reach out, we can't all know everything. We only know what we can know and we don't know what we don't know. Every time I have reached out, women have stepped forward and said, I can help you with that, or I've got knowledge in that, or I've got experience in that. And I think when women collaborate, magic happens. I mean real magic. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's I say this all the time because it's absolutely true. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, I mean, our connection comes through a networking group, which is the one roof community, which a lot of my guests have come through. And I mean, that for me is the perfect example of if you have a question, a concern, if you're looking for someone to collaborate with or work with, you can put a post on that Facebook group and within minutes you'll have 
every woman and her cat reaching out saying, you know, (laughs) I know someone who can help. I've got a recommendation, whatever that looks like. And yeah, I mean, it's, there is definitely power in the knowledge that we women sort of collectively hold. So. Oh, absolutely. And you're right. One Roof is an amazing community of women. And I've been involved in several groups of women. She's the boss is another one. There's, There's a lot of them. What I really love about having those groups of women, when I had this decision to launch a magazine, so I always had an idea about what the platform would look like. The podcast came first and I was going to launch the magazine later, but you know, COVID happened. And what I was seeing through those business groups was so many incredible women who were losing their livelihood and through that losing a lot of hope on where am I meant to go now? How do I pivot? What am I doing? And that spurred me into action to launch the magazine way sooner than I had hoped to or had planned to, because I really wanted to create some paid opportunities for female writers, artists, creatives at a time where, and, you know, we're an independent magazine, so we're not paying the same amount of money as, as, you know, like Murdoch Press or or, or the, the big players in this field. But we really wanted to give an opportunity for women to get paid for the work that they do. Now, some incredible women have collaborated on on this project and for different various ways of payment, you know, advertising in the magazine, for example, and, and, and different ways that I've helped them and they've helped me. And it's been a beautiful, beautiful thing. But being in those groups of women really spurred me into action. And when I put the word out and said, you know, one particular group, this is what I'm thinking about doing. I've already launched this podcast, but I really want to do a magazine. I know it's a crazy time to be launching a magazine, especially one in print, but what do you think? And I was, I'm without a word of a lie, I put my email address out there and we were inundated. And I mean inundated. I think within a 24-hour period, we had over 500 women contact us, some of who were just championing us saying, yes, just do it. I, I can't help you, but I love this idea so much. And others that were, I'm a writer, I'm an editor, I'm an artist, I, I'm a you know, creator, I am a content creator, I'm so many things. Or I've got an incredible story to tell and I'd love to share it and I haven't had anywhere else I can share it. What do you think? I was just so blown away by that that I just thought, how can I not? Because in getting that sort of a reaction, you realize there's a real need for this. There is a need for it. And and for so many women to bravely say, I've never shared my story before, but I'll trust you with it. Or I've never been published before, but I've always wanted to write something. That's been incredible as well. And to give that opportunity to be published to so many women has just been mind blowing. It's just so rewarding. Like it's an absolute joy. I don't, you know, it is just such a joy. It sounds like such an amazing experience. I mean, I can imagine that print media would be tough to get into. I mean, especially nowadays, you hear that it's a dying media, you know, and you're going up against the heavyweights of the industry, especially in Australia. I mean, it's all controlled by pretty much one person. What were some of those challenges like initially with entering that space? Oh, Lord. You know, like it's it's really, I like to say that, and I have said this many times, if I had have known what was involved, would I have done it? You know, that's the big question because it's a lot of work and it's been a massive, massive learning curve. Firstly, I'd never worked in publishing. So I had to really think about, well, how am I even going to get a magazine published? What does that look like? Where does it get printed? You know, how do I put it together? All of that stuff was really quite incredible. But luckily for me too, my partner, 
it lives in the tech world. He, you know, heads up a software company, but he also had a background, believe it or not, in print. And when I sort of came to him, he said, oh, I'll just, you know, we can do this. I'll put you in touch with people. I think even that, just putting yourself on the line and saying, I don't even know where to start. So he was able to point me in the right direction, at least with printers, which was amazing. I didn't understand paper quality. I didn't understand the sizes of magazines. I didn't understand how many pages you could have or not have. It was quite extraordinary. So I I didn't understand the ink quality that goes into print magazine. So believe me, there's been a lot. From that, then it's like, what's the word count in every article going to look like? And what's that? Where am I getting images from that are licensed that, you know, you can't just go and pluck off any kind of images off the internet that I knew, but I was like, okay, where do I go? Uh, (laughs) So it's, it was just a really big learning curve. And, and, you know, I've been a writer who's been published in other things, but to be on the other side of that was really quite amazing. And to, to, you know, the challenging part of how many writers am I going to have in each edition and what does that look like? And stylistically, what is this magazine going to look like? Really early on, I had an incredible woman, you know, create the logo for me. And that's the other thing. You, you know what you know. I mean, there's no way I could have created like this whole logo. And then she, brilliantly, we paid her to create an entire style guide for this magazine. What are the fonts that can be used? What are the colors that can be used? All of this stuff that you never really <laughs> sit back and think about when you're just reading someone else's mag. It's been huge. It's a big, big job. But I'm, I'm really proud of both you know, of myself, but also what everybody else who's been involved in this because it has been a massive learning curve. It, honestly, even just as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, I never would have even thought. I mean, it's obvious when you say it, you're like, oh, of course, there's different kinds of paper and ink and sizing. and. But if I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to start a magazine, those things wouldn't even be near the top of my list. <laughs> and it's very different, of course, if you launch in a lot of publications are digital only. To do a digital magazine is completely different. But even with our digital mag, we really had to think about how are people going to read it on their phone and what's it going to look like on a tablet and on a laptop as opposed to your phone. All of those things came into play and I I kind of thought, wow, I just have such a massive newfound respect for the publishing industry in general and how tough it can be. But there was a lot to really think about. And, you know, in the end for our digital mag, we've utilized a platform called Issue, for example, and we create the digital version of the magazine, but it goes onto this platform where people can read it like a magazine, if you like, but on their tablet or on their phone or whatever. And those things are kind of really important. How readable is it? We're playing to a demographic as well. Like myself, I'm in my 50s, who, you know, don't want tiny print. And they, you know, I, I didn't want them going, oh, let me just try and open this up on my phone. As How large can it go? So there's a lot of things that we really had to consider. And one of the things in the print magazine was exactly that, the font size. I think we've done what no one else has really done and we've gone bigger in the font size. And it was a bit of a risk, but what was really lovely was the feedback then from those reading it saying, oh my God, this is so great. I feel like it's so, I can comfortably sit down with this mag and read it. One of the reasons we ended up going print, of course, was the readership. You know, we put it out there and said, would you read a digital magazine only or do you want print? And and there was this overwhelming response that people, women in this age demographic really love print. They want to hold it in their hands. They want to feel it and read it and give themselves some me time. I think 
that was really quite surprising for us. And so one of the questions I get asked a lot is, A, what were you thinking going into print? <laughs> you're and crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> and uh, I can honestly tell you, I'll hold it up here to look. Yes, they do. They do read it. And I'm so proud of all of these beautiful covers. I can't take credit for the artwork. I made a decision really early on that every single cover would be different and every single cover would be by a different female artist. And, you know, we pay a fee for them to have that that artwork on the magazine. And so we're paying them to, you you know, obviously to utilize it. But then we tell their story inside the magazine and get their story out there as well, which I think is really important. Where can people find them? You know, artists are not just nameless, faceless people. People love to appreciate magazine covers, but I don't know if they often understand the work that goes into that from the artist's perspective. And so that was really important. Really, we just wanted every little facet of this thing was to really highlight the amazingness of women. Which is so incredible. And even just, you know, hearing you talk about it, these are the the little things like font sizes and, you know, having an actual physical magazine that people can hold. And like you said, have that me time. It feels like such, it's almost like a lost, I don't even know what the word is. It's like a lost moment of, you know, it's not something that people do very often anymore. And I think being targeted to a demographic that, you know, that is their me time, you know, and that is memories of what their mums used to do and their grandmas used to do and things like that. I think there's something really beautiful about sort of that legacy of a physical magazine that is tailored specifically for its readers. So, I mean, I'm not a woman over the age of 40 yet. I will be. As a woman over the age of 30, I think there's something really beautiful in keeping tradition almost and then being represented in a product and a space that is specifically designed for you. I think it's incredible and not something that a lot of people are doing either, I don't think. No, it's very true. There's not a lot of people in this in this particular demographic. Unfortunately, a lot of those magazines, as we know, that, you know, are filled with celebrity clickbait, or as I call it, clickbait bullshit, and body shaming, you know, dieting, how to lose five kilos by Christmas or whatever, all of this rubbish. I had a very, very clear idea in my head about the things that I didn't want to read about. And those are the things I did not want to read about. Mm-hmm. Um, so collectively, it was very much a decision, a very conscious decision of no body shaming no age shaming. And I, I, you know, I call myself a pro-aging activist. I think that that's true. I think even using language and language is so important, using language like anti-aging can be quite damaging for women. I think, you know, pro-aging is a better way to go. And so there was a lot of stuff we just didn't want in this magazine. We have a beautiful fashion editor, but we wanted to look at fashion in a very different way. We didn't want to put all high-level glossy fashion up that a lot of women feel they can't wear, they can't afford, or that just will not fit them. And body positivity has been like such a, a, you know, a driver for us as well. So Nikki Hind, who's our gorgeous fashion editor, is Australia's very first blind fashion designer. She's quite extraordinary and she has her own label called Blind Grit. And she has come into this writing about fashion in very different ways. She talks about sustainable fashion and what is it? She talks about accessible fashion and what is that? And so we just looked at fashion even in very different ways, environmentally and all sorts of things that perhaps other magazines don't necessarily focus on, which is fair. I think if you want a a glossy 
fashion mag like that. There's plenty on the market and they definitely have their audience. But for us, we didn't really want to go down that road because A, that wasn't what we wanted to specialize in. We're not a fashion mag. Really, at the end of the day, we're a human mag and that's what counts. We're in the business of telling the stories of women. I love that, a human mag. (laughs) So you were in your 40s when you decided to take on this venture or your 50s? I was in my 50s, but it started, I mean, look, I was writing a blog from 2013 sort of onwards in my 40s called The Good Girl Confessional. And it was really about sex, dating and relationships after divorce. And it got like quite a loyal little following and it was quite lovely. But I got sick and tired of talking about myself and I really wanted to talk about the experiences of other women. And so, you know, I I found I was writing less and less in the blog by the end and I was asking other women to come in and be guest bloggers, which was great. But then I thought I really, you know, I I want this blog to sort of grow up and I wanted her to grow up and be a podcast. And that's exactly what I did. And in doing so, I was able to change it to, well, let's tell the stories of all women. It wasn't about sex and dating and relationships, although sometimes it is. But, you know, there's a lot of women doing extraordinary things in their life or who just have like an extraordinary experience that they want to share. And that really was my driver for turning it into a podcast. I was an early adopter of podcasters. I love other podcasters and I love listening to podcasts. And I've got very eclectic taste in music and podcasts, I think. For me, I just thought this is a great opportunity to have a platform for women, not just women in business, but all women to come on, share their stories. And we've had some extraordinary guests, everything from, you know, authors and business leaders through to cult survivors and, you know, cancer survivors. And and you just think it's just mind blowing what is going on in the world. And for a lot of these women, this is a platform where they've been able to express that story for the very first time. You know, being called the good girl confessional, we never expect women to confess anything. It's a very safe space. But inevitably what tends to happen is every now and then they do just say, actually, I'm just going to share this and then say to me later, I I can't believe I even shared that publicly. I don't know what, (laughs) you know, but I kind of think it's because women don't get the opportunity to do that. And I think the greatest compliment I've ever had is is having listeners say it feels like I'm sitting in a lounge room sharing a drink with you and your guest and it feels like I'm in, in the living room with you. That's a great compliment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as a podcast host and as someone who spent a lot of time sharing your story in the blog and then how do you find now that you host other people's stories? Do you still get to share bits and pieces of your story or... Yeah, yeah. Look, I do every now and then, but it really depends. I think sometimes I'm just so engrossed in their story and I think that that's really important as well. I really just hope that we've created like a safe space so women just feel comfortable to share. Sometimes it's so conversational. I realize that, you know, it is like we are sitting in the lounge room having a drink or whatever, which is really nice as well. I think what's really quite remarkable and human is that for these women who are so bravely sharing their stories and their achievements, that it actually gives you permission and it gives you the courage to share little bits about yourself as well. And I think that's so lovely. I really do. I think that it does encourage a lot of women to step forward. And for a lot of women, as I said, and you will find this too, I'm sure in your podcast, a lot of my guests, it's the very first podcast they've ever been on. They're not sure what to expect. And so I think just to have that really genuinely warm conversational environment is a really nice thing. 
And, you know, I've always said to my guests, if anything ever comes out and you think, oh, I didn't mean to say that or I didn't want to say it, you know, that's what editing is for. And I'm so grateful that they trust me with their stories that I, that I honor that as well. Amazing. It is a really interesting space being a podcast host. I said just before we started that I started this podcast for a very selfish reason, and that's just because I like having conversations with people. (laughs) But through the journey, it is really interesting to see sort of how it changes the experience for myself, but also for my guests as well. I think as I sort of get more comfortable with the process and, and sort of just holding the space for someone else to have or share their stories and have conversations with it. It is a really amazing platform, I think, to be able to share that. Yeah, look, it really is. And, you know, I've recently just, you know, I wrote an article for a publication about exactly that, about women over the age of 50 starting to podcast, you know, and I think it's so beautiful to see a rise of women in podcasting, you know, at, at every age level. I think it's so amazing. And some of my favorite podcasters are young women. I, I just find it so inspiring and brilliant. I love what women bring to the table. And I'm so eclectic, as I said, like I listen to history podcasts and crime podcasts and conversational podcasts and and business podcasts. And I, I just think it's so amazing how much is out there and how much talent is out there. You know, you've got some of these young podcast hosts are like 18 and 25 and, you know, early 30s, but then you've got other podcasters who seriously are like 70. And I think it's such a beautiful platform, I think, it's to, because the world becomes so much smaller. People from all over the world could be listening. It's quite amazing. It is. It definitely is. How did you find that transition from being in a regular job, I guess we'll say, and then making the transition to saying, you know what, I'm going to do this full time. I'm going to step into this. I'm going to have be a full-time podcast host. I'm going to create a website. I'm going to do a magazine, all of these things. What was that transition like for you? as an older woman as well. Yeah, it's quite scary. I mean, I do work elsewhere as well, by the way, I do. I think for me, the financial side of it is always very scary. And But the transition, I think, is easier if you're really passionate about what you want to do. But at the same time, you still have to pay the mortgage or the rent and you know, you've still got to pay the bills. And I am one of those people as well. I think it's a really interesting journey. So when I first started it, I did give myself like six months of doing nothing else but this. And I think that that was really important to ground it and figure out what does it look like? What is it going to look like? How are we going to proceed? Who's going to be involved in the project? From that, you know, initial thing, like even calling it a project and then realizing, oh, wow, this is an actual business. It's a lot. It's a lot to take on and it can be quite scary. But the one thing I would probably say is surround yourself with other people, men and women, who really have gone through the journey and understand it. But especially for women, I do think it's much harder. And I say that in terms of women find it historically more difficult to get funding, to win grants. And also too, the moment you start your own business, you know, anyone who thinks I'm going to start my own business because I don't want to work nine to five, we've all seen those memes. You'll end up working 24 seven. It's a, it's a never ending job. I work seven days a week. That is true, but it's something that I love and I'm really passionate about. So I would suggest surround yourself with amazing people who you can ask for advice and help, who understand the journey as well. Sometimes you just need to vent and say, I feel like everything's going wrong today. I don't really understand what I'm doing here. But also too, I think cut yourself some slack and make sure 
that you actually have breathing space and try and have a little bit of balance because it's very easy to get so bogged down in it that, you know, what's the expression that, you know, you end up working in your business instead of working, you know, for your your business. business. Yep. I think it's very true. It absolutely is. I always chuckle at the, you know, oh, I I started my own business to have all of this freedom and I only want to work three days a week. And I mean, yes, you can get there. And that definitely is a goal for a lot of people. But especially at the beginning of the journey, like that is just completely laughable. And I also think that when you're passionate about something, even when you're doing, you know, 10 hour days, seven days a week, you still walk away or get up from your computer and, you know, walk into your kitchen and just go, like, I'm doing something because I love it or it's my purpose or my passion or whatever that looks like. And I think that's the difference between that hustle and that grind for, you know, whether it's for finances or something else versus the hustle and the grind for a passion or a purpose. Yeah, very much so. And I've always described WB40 as a passion project. I think if you do something, I mean, you know, again, it sounds like I'm just making up, you know, pulling out all the cliches today. Uh, but, you know, they say if you do something you love, it doesn't feel like work. Look, some days it does feel, it's bloody hard work. But for the most part, it's so rewarding that, you know, you don't, it's not like I, I end the week and then look back and think, oh, all I do is work on this thing. It's not like that. And I think that that's the difference, you know, and on the days where I'm struggling and we all do, every woman in business struggles on days, but the days where I'm really struggling, I always reach out to other women who I know, you know, in business and who are doing things and sort of say, I'm so burnt out or this is how I feel or I'm really struggling with this side of things and I don't understand how I'm going to make this work. And again, I think just to be able to vent and to have someone listen who gets the journey is so important and it can make all the difference, you know, like just to have incredible women, you know, and I know I'm just so bloody lucky, I know many of them, that they can step forward, you know, and, you know, like Sheree Ruby is one person from One Roof and, you know, Jules Brooke and, and there's just many, many women, Annette Densham's another one, who are quite willing to share their knowledge. They're not holding it tight here going, oh, I'm not going to share my secrets with you. That's the other thing that has been really important to me with WB40 is breaking down this bullshit narrative that women are really competitive and women are competing against each other because my experience has been the complete opposite of that, of so many generous, incredible women who have stepped forward and, and said, yeah, I'm so happy to help you with that or what are you doing with this? And it works both ways. I have lots of people calling me all the time. How do I do this? How can I do that? You know, one woman in particular who was a podcast guest, actually, who's a podcaster, called me one day and said, you know, I'd really, you've inspired me. I really want to start a magazine. How do I do it? It's not difficult to say, here you go. Here's this knowledge. I hope that in sharing my knowledge that it helps them to not have to struggle as much to learn the things I had to learn, right? You can point people in the right direction. I think there's a for me, I truly, truly believe this. There is enough space out there for all of us, mm-hmm. all of us. So, you know, currently we talk about podcasting. There's over 2 million podcasts in the world. That's, that's a fact. And people say, you know, but there's so much room for everyone because everybody brings themselves to that podcast. So even if your podcast and my podcast and, and, and a million other podcasts were all the same genre, but the reality is that we all bring ourselves to that. And so it's different. It just is. 
I couldn't agree more with the breaking down the stereotype that women are always competing against each other. And I think, I don't know if it's it's something that is currently shifting or has been shifting for quite a while, but I think more and more people, more and more women I know are looking at those sorts of conversations and just saying, that's complete bullshit. Like, no, none of us are actually here to compete with each other. And people are starting to not gatekeep information as much. And I agree with you. There is more than enough space out there for absolutely everybody. Everyone has their own flavor. Everyone has their own skills. Everyone has, you know, a little bit of their own magic that exactly. If we we could have exactly the same podcast with exactly the same guests and our episodes will be completely different. So I don't know. I think it's amazing that so many people or so many women are now getting to the point of just saying, you know, yes, we're all in this together and we can do so much more when we support each other than, you know, try and compete against each other and and cause drama. Absolutely. But again, you know, I think that there's a lot of this sort of stuff is exacerbated by different forms of media. So, you know, you look at reality television and the the Real Housewives of Everywhere, and but it, it's those shows are formulaic. They are, and of course, they're in the business to make money. And what keeps people watching and keeps people coming back, you know, the Married at First Sights and all of them is is they're formulaic. Of course, they're set up to pit people against each other because it's people want to thrive on the drama. I mean, that's what people watch for, and that's fine if that's what you're into. But in the real world, like really out there in the real world, my experience is that women are not like that. I'm not saying it never happens. I'm not saying that there are not competitive women in the world. I'm sure that there are. But my experience has been that women are so incredibly generous of their time and their spirit and their knowledge. And, you know, I call it hard-won wisdom. I don't think any woman just has wisdom handed to them on a silver platter. We work damn hard for it. And you know, to be able to share that and to be able to share it with younger women, our younger sisterhood, and and help them then have an easier time once they hit 40 or 50 or whatever, I think is really important. And I think, you know, you're 100% right. I think there's so much love in the world in women's groups. There just is. There's so much support. It's quite amazing. We don't always have to agree with each other. We don't always have to think the same things. This is not like a collective, oh yeah, we all think the same way. But I do think you're right. I think things have been changing for quite a while. I think the Me Too movement has been an extraordinary thing. And thanks to the brilliant women who started the the women's movement back in the 70s, finally what we're seeing is, you know, younger generations actually taking that gauntlet and saying we will not put up with this anymore. And and I think that's been really important for all women and for future generations to come too, right? Absolutely. When you were in your, say, 20s and early 30s, when you sort of looked at what you thought your life was going to be, is this even remotely close to the journey you thought you'd be taking? (laughs) Do you know what's really interesting? When I was in high school, I thought I was either really going to be an actor or a journalist. I always thought, you know, those sort of creative things were always there. I honestly still had this dream in my 20s that I was going to be in publishing. And I think it's quite extraordinary to me that it took to my 50s to launch a magazine and kind of create my own journey in that because it didn't happen throughout my life. But no, if anyone had said to me, oh, one day, you know, you'll be in your 50s and you'll start a magazine and it'll just be for women and you'll you'll have a podcast. First of all, in my 20s, I would have said, what the hell is a podcast? <laughs> because they didn't even exist. 
But no, I always imagined I'd be writing. I did not imagine that I would be starting a magazine. So it's kind of a bit mind blowing. And I really love that in, you know, when I tell that story to other women that they think, oh yeah, shit, it's not too late. I can actually, I can do other stuff that I've been dreaming about, whether it's a side hustle or it's a genuine, you know, a full-time business or whatever they want it to be. It's never too late. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, like I said, I'm not in my 40s yet, but even in my 30s, I remember when I turned 30 and I had this overwhelming feeling of like, oh my gosh, my time is running out. Like I have to do all of those things that you're supposed to do before you're 30 and I haven't even done half of them. And there is this really horrible like social conditioning on women that we only have a certain, you know, time frame to accomplish things in our life. And I think what you're doing and what you're the stories that you're sharing and the women that you're, you know, encouraging to to step up and do all of these things is a really, you know, beautiful sign that age is just a number. There is no time limit on anything. Thank you so much. And yes, yes, yes to all of that. Yes. Because I think you're right. It really is. It's it's societal and it's it comes from the patriarchy. There is this whole thing that women by the time they hit 40, you know, if you hit 40, your value goes down somehow. What a pile of bullshit. You know, some of the most interesting women I have met in my life are over the age of 50 and 60 and and they're still doing great things. And I'm I'm meeting women all the time who are launching incredible businesses, all charities, all projects at that age. And you know, and I, I'm like, I'm so inspired by them because I see what they are achieving. But one of the big things that a lot of the writers and I have talked about WB40 is exactly that, that what we are doing though is inspiring younger women to realize you've got so much time. You truly have so much time regardless of what society and the patriarchy is going to try and tell you. A part of this, of course, comes from this, you know, biological timing of children, et cetera. First of all, not every woman wants to have children. Good luck to the, to everyone who does. I'm a mum, but I accept that and I completely understand not everybody wants to be somebody's mother. You know, that's true. I, I think we have to stop looking at the world in terms of women and their biological clock. There's so much that goes on beyond that. And one of the things that we tackle in this magazine and on the podcast are subjects that are meant to be taboo or have previously been taboo. We shout it from the rooftops. I constantly am talking about perimenopause and menopause. What are the symptoms? What does it look like? Because, you know, I have met through doing this so many younger women, and I'm talking women in their 30s, who actually are going through perimenopause. Now, I didn't even know that that was happening or was possible, but it happens to a lot of women. So this notion even that, oh, menopause only happens and it's one day, suddenly you just hit menopause, is ridiculous. So your young listeners, by the way, perimenopause can last 11 to 15 years. That's a reality. And so those are the symptoms we go through. There's also plenty of help out there and support. It's just that no one talks about it. But your life doesn't stop when you hit that phase of your life. In fact, it's a pretty empowering phase of your life. For those of us that have children, our children are growing. Mine certainly are. For those that don't have children, you just get to a point. I think the beautiful Helen Merrin said it best. And she said, you know, I just got no more fucks to give. And I think that's true. I think you get to a certain stage of your life where you realize I can do whatever the hell I want. I'm I'm not bound anymore by what men think. I'm not bound anymore by what society thinks and other women think. I'm not bound by the views of other people. And 
I just really want to do this thing and I'm going to do it and to hell with it. I often say this, women are probably their most beautiful in their, you know, 30, early 30s in terms of youthful innocence I'm talking about. I'm not talking about how they look. But there is this beautiful kind of thing that happens for women, I think, in their sort of mid-20s to mid-30s where, you know, in some ways the world is at your feet, right? But in other ways, I think a lot of women in that age group are then like really holding themselves back, so preoccupied and so worried about the views of other people and what other people will think and the views of their family and, and whatever or their love interest or whatever it may be. I think when you get to your, you know, beyond 40 and you get to your, like I felt the best I'd ever felt when I got to 40. I think I finally felt I had grown into my shoes, if you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. by the time I turned 50, I was like, this is bloody liberating. This is so great to not really, you know, I, even your closest friends, you know, they'll say, oh, I don't understand. Why the hell are you starting a podcast? Well, because I want to, I don't, you know, I don't care if anyone's listening or not listening. This is not what this is about. I hope people listen to the stories of these amazing women, but it really, I wasn't driven by what society might think. And I think, you know, that's why I think what we're doing is important too for women in your age bracket and for younger women in their twenties to understand, as you said, you're never too old. You are not on a time limit here. And if you try something and you create something and it doesn't work, it is not the end of the world. You can pick yourself up and you've still got time then to reinvent it or reinvent something completely new. That's exciting. To be fair, all of the women that I am inspired by are at least over 40, at, at the least. And I think, I mean, I have, I had another guest on who was a very close family friend and she actually has created a, a menopause range of products purely because she started, you know, has started menopause and was like, I don't know what's going on and I can't find any information out there and no one's talking about it. And then she started talking to some of her girlfriends and then all of a sudden everyone's going through exactly the same thing, just no one's talking about it yet. So I think there is something really, really empowering that happens sort of after 40, 45, where like you said, all of a sudden, all of those social conditionings and restraints just don't really matter anymore. And I think when I hit 30, I had a, a, a bit of a moment of being like, oh, for once I'm actually, like I know who I am now. I figured that part of the whole story out. <laughs> Still just breaking down some of those social conditionings. But like, I think as we age, we get better. We're like fine wine if we're doing corny analogies. <laughs> and we are doing corny analogies because yes, we are like fine wine. That's a beautiful way to put it because it's really true. And I do remember being, say, your age and thinking to myself the same as you, you know, this internalized panic of all the things, oh, I'm running out of time and oh, what am I doing? I'm not anywhere near I thought I would be in my career and I'm not earning the money I thought and I'm not living in the area and all this stuff. And, and I think it's a lot of pressure on women, right? The reality is we can just keep reinventing ourselves. I think what's really lovely is you know, when you see women and not just celebrities, everyday women talking about their extraordinary journeys and realizing that they get to a certain age where they thought, well, and like me, if not now, then when? To create some really extraordinary things, right? You just kind of go, wow, I'm constantly in awe, I think, of what women are creating and what women are visualizing and what they're actually making happen in the world is quite amazing to me. I'm so 
thrilled this year after an election to see so many women with seats in Parliament and in the Senate. And those things are so exciting to me. And that's what I mean. I, I think in all walks of life, we're just seeing women rise and actually say, well, I'm making a stand and this is what I believe in. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to follow along. But you also can't criticize me. You're not standing, you know, is it Brene Brown? If you're not standing in the arena, you know, fighting with me, then then your opinion really doesn't matter. And I think that it's true, right? I think we allow society to put so much pressure on us to have achieved at a certain age or to be something at a certain age or, you know, and, and don't even get me started on how women are meant to look, right? Because <laughs> there's, there's so That's much. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> it's a whole other episode. And I, you know, I've spoken on panels about that as well. It's so true. It's just ways that society and the patriarchy control women. And part of that is our age and making us believe that if once we hit 40, if you haven't done those things, you're not doing them. You know, let's look collectively at people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for Christ's sake, and, you know, how old she was and still doing the most <laughs> extraordinary work, being a Supreme Court judge and, you know, holding back the tidal wave that was Trump, et cetera. And, you know, it's really remarkable. And that's what I mean. I think that we're only limited by our age if we allow ourselves to be limited by our age. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you could go back to the beginning of when you started you know, the the podcast and then the website and the magazine and things like that. Is there anything that you would have done differently? Yeah, yeah, I probably would have. And I mean, I, as I said, like not really knowing how much was going to be involved and how much work. I don't know. I've often thought about this. We really struggled to get any sort of funding. And in fact, you know, I did go to some investors and they were men and they actually said to me at this meeting that they couldn't understand, they really didn't believe that anyone would be interested in the stories of women, let alone women over 40. And I wish you could. I wish you could see the people listening. I wish you could see me right now because I just did the biggest eye roll. <laughs> she I did. might have to use. I might have to use that clip because yeah. that was just my eyes just fell out of my head then. She did, but it's true, right? And I just sort of thought, wow. The worst part for me was too, though, that I couldn't actually get women involved in terms of investment. The one thing I wish I'd probably done, and I've seen, you know, places like Broad Radio do this really successfully. Joe Stanley did this for Broad Radio, was probably fundraise or, you know, like crowdfund. And so that we had more principle behind us because by not doing that, I mean, print is a massively expensive medium, but I felt so passionate about it in the end. I, you know, I bootstrapped it. I pay for it. I do that. And I, <laughs> but I think it's, it, it's kind of important, but I think you can make things much easier on yourself sometimes too by saying, okay, well, maybe an investor doesn't want to step in, but women will. And I probably should have done that. Look, it's never too late. We could always do that going forward if need be. But I do think it's just really to maybe think things through a little bit more on how it was going to look and what it was going to be like in terms of business I'm talking about. I spent a lot of time, you know, really clarifying what the magazine was going to look like and what was going to be in it. But in terms of business strategy, I probably should have thought a little bit more about, you know, the hardcore nuts and bolts of how do you keep this business going? Of course, I launched it in the middle of a pandemic as well. So the reality is that even if I had have done all of that, chances are it wouldn't have gone the way that I thought it would anyway. Sometimes I do think we get hamstrung as well by overthinking, overplanning. I think for a lot of people, they have these huge dreams and then they never do, they never follow through. They don't, they just don't do it. 
because they're so bogged down in the nuts and bolts. So I think you've got to find a fine balance. You've got to have some idea of how how is this going to work? How am I going to pay for this to get it off the ground? And what is it going to cost? And how am I going to recover costs and things like that? How am I going to reach my readership? There's a whole lot of stuff that comes into play. Would I have changed things? Probably. But, I, you know, I'm happy that we did it. Part of the journey at the end of the day. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think hindsight is always a really beautiful thing that you can always look back and say, <laughs> oh, you know, I could have done this and I could have done that. I probably should have done that. But in all honesty, I ask this question and then as soon as it comes out of my mouth, I always think to myself, well, that's such a dumb question because, of course, we would all change, you know, something if we could, but then we wouldn't be where we are today and the experience wouldn't have been what it was. And I think that is what makes what makes business what it is, is that it's it's not linear. It's a bit of a roller coaster and you know we make mistakes and we pick ourselves up and carry on exactly i don't think that's a dumb question at all i think it's a really smart question because i do think everybody in business will ponder that and look back and think oh hell actually it, sometimes i'm sure you get incredible answers which are helpful to other people moving forward right and thank you for asking it actually because it's a really good way you, it's nice to stop sometimes and look back and think, wow, what would I have done? How would I have changed things? I think that's really important for business owners as well. We're always evolving and we're always changing and we're always having, you know, the big catchphrase for COVID was pivot. But but the reality is everybody did have to pivot. Everyone had to change the way that they thought about how they were going to do things. And I think sometimes that's a beautiful thing. You know, when, when you're forced into a corner, it's amazing how creative you can be, right? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, obviously COVID was devastating and I know I've said this a million times on this podcast, but there was so much good that came out of, you know, the last couple of years as well. And it gave so many people opportunities to do more and to take steps that they probably wouldn't have. And, you know, I think in terms of connection as well, it taught us all that you can be connected to hundreds and thousands of people around the world without leaving your living room. (laughs) Which is a beautiful thing. It actually, in some ways, just made the world seem a lot smaller in a way. We were connected, but it's the first time we've ever gone through collectively, I guess, globally, the first mm-hmm. time, you know, probably since Spanish flu or whatever, that people were all living the same shared experience and we were yeah. all scared and we were all resilient and we were all, you know, speaking via Zoom or whatever. I think this whole thing about new technology has been really fascinating for people who are older as well, of learning new technology and of realizing that, oh, wow, it's not as scary as I thought. I think a lot of people prior were very, oh, no, I don't understand tech. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing it. I think it's been a really great thing. Absolutely. I feel like there's a whole bunch of grandparents out there who are now like all over technology because it was yes. the only way they could communicate with their grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think that that's, that's not a terrible thing either. I think, you know, learning new things all the time is a great thing. Okay, I'm going to take us into our wrap-up questions. So the first one is, what is a fundamental value that you've woven throughout everything that you do and why is it important to you? This one's a pretty easy one, actually, for me. It was inclusivity and the catchphrases. I know everybody's using them, but that it was really, really important to us to have people in this magazine who came from very diverse backgrounds, different abilities and different cultural backgrounds and, and you know, had different voices. It's really, really important because you cannot be what you can't see. And it's representation matters. It just matters. You know, people from the LGBTIQ plus community, brilliant Indigenous women, you know, it was just very, very important to us. Incredible. 
What is your core motivator? What keeps you showing up? Women. Honestly. <laughs> so the, the stories of women really inspire me and I'm blown away. I, every single day of my life, you know, from Monday through to Sunday, I receive emails, messages, DMs, all sorts of things from incredible women who are just doing great stuff or who have sometimes traumatic experiences. And it, just to have people reaching out and say, thank you for sharing that story written by, you know, someone else. It really resonated with me and it made me feel like I wasn't alone. That's an incredible motivator. Was there ever a time that you wanted to walk away? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, there was. <laughs> and I think anybody in business who, who says no, never. Sure. I mean, there, there were times when I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. How can I learn all this? Where am I going to get the strength and the energy and the time? And yeah, of course, I had moments, but I, look, I've never had a real that's it, I'm done, I'm walking away moment. But yeah, I've had moments where I'm like, this is really hard. But then the next day you wake up and as I said, you know, somebody calls you or you read an email or, or you're talking to someone or one of the brilliant writers sends you through an incredible article that blows your socks off and you just think, and this is what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. What is your go-to remedy when you're having an off day? I probably shouldn't say this, but wine. Definitely say that. There are there's a whole bunch of people that just <laughs> Yeah, I think I think honestly, I say wine, but it could be whatever. For some people it might be chocolate or whatever. I think when I'm having a really bad day, uh, two things. One is to just go right stop, turn off the computer, breathe, breathe a lot, have a glass of wine or have the chocolate or have whatever you need. And if it's a really, really bad day, phone a friend and and someone who who can just, you can offload to and they can offload to you and, you know, they can offload back and, and you just, I think to feel like you're just not, you know, connect with someone because it's really important to not feel alone. Absolutely. Yeah. Have that little bit of indulgence, whatever yep. that might be. And then. And it might be a hot bath. Correct. It could be a hot bath or wine or chocolate. I'm, I'm not saying everyone should drink, <laughs> but it helps. <laughs> but it helps. It's not a terrible thing. I just think, yes, but the biggest one, of course, I think is connection to other people because you know, I'm sure a lot of people are like this. I used to be like this. It's like if things were going terribly bad, that I'd, I'd kind of internalize it, keep it to myself, hide in a corner, not talk about it, and then come out to the world pretending like everything's okay. I think that can be quite damaging as well. And so I think to be able to just talk it through and say, hey, I'm having a really shit day. And it might not, just, it might not be about business. It could be like you're having a bad time in your life or things are going on in your personal life. I think, like, yeah, the one thing I would chat, connect with someone, anybody, even if it's like, you know, if you think, oh, I can't tell my friends and family, get involved in online groups, seriously, business groups, women who can support you or, or friendship groups absolutely have people that who are just going to get it. Absolutely. And I think there's always sort of that social media highlight reel version of, of your business, but more and more now we're seeing people, you know, pull back the curtain and, and show that that real side. And I think the more people that do that, the easier it becomes to also be able to say, oh, actually, I'm also having a bad day or, you know, this week was a complete write-off and I can't look at anything because it's just too much. And having those people to connect with and share the burden with almost, it makes such a difference. Oh, I agree. And, you know, also that of not focusing on other people's social media and achievements and thinking, oh, I'm failing because everyone else, say that everything they do looks amazing. Everybody in business, you know, everybody in life has ups and downs, has bad days and, you know, has bad crap going on in their life. 
I always say that social media is very much like back in the the good old days when I was growing up where, where you would take like a whole roll of film at a party and you never knew if any of the photos were going to work out. And then you had to wait for them to be developed and they most of them were crap. So I say social media is no different. Of course, when we had that roll of film developed, we would hand pick out the best of those photos and they're the photos that sit in your frames at home and they're the photos that you showed to the world. Social media is no different. I think we, we do have a tendency to just show the very best of what's happening in our life. But you're right. I think it's actually really inspiring and brave and incredible that so many women are sharing the truth also of their lives. And, you know, and I do, you know, sometimes I'll, I go online and just say, yeah, look, this is not all it's cracked up to be, stuff is going on. In doing that, in showing our vulnerability, what we do is allow other people to not feel so bad about themselves or to tell their truth or to say, yeah, I had a really shitty day too. Or just, hey, thanks for sharing because I have days like that too. And thanks, you know, I think it's important. We're all human. Absolutely. Yeah. What is the best piece of business advice you've ever been given? Honestly, I think back. Men do this, but I think more so it t- tends to be a female trait that we we feel like we're not up to the task. Imposter syndrome tends to step in. Really fascinating for me was one of the things I had to learn about myself is that I probably wasn't as fearful of failure as I was fearful of success because the moment you succeeded anything or you get any level of success, you feel like this enormous pressure to make it better and better and better. And that's scary, right? It's scary to live up to. So the best piece of advice is, yes, you're going to feel fear. You will be fearful. Sometimes it's bloody scary, but do it anyway. And the second piece of advice I guess I'd give is really know your why. Why are you doing this? What is it that's driving you? Who are you doing it for? Why? At the end of the day, if you don't know your why, it's really difficult, I think, to keep moving forward because you're drawn in so many different directions. Once you know your why, I think it's very easy to kind of at least stay on a path. You can keep learning and evolving and changing, but just know your why. I love that. What is something that's happened in your business recently that you're really proud of? Oh, gosh, so many things. So this year we've been nominated, I think, for, I don't know, four or five different awards, which has been really amazing. And I'm just quite humbled and honoured when I get nominated for things. Over the last couple of years, we've been very lucky to be nominated in a few things and won a couple of things. But I think this year, you know, we're sort of now going into the third year and it's almost like sometimes you feel like, oh, are we, are we, are we, move, are we getting bigger? Are we moving forward? Are we, are we evolving? What are we doing? To suddenly be nominated for things, um, and it's not about the accolade, it doesn't matter if we win or we don't win, but it's just that really nice thing that women have gone out of their way and spent their time to actually nominate us, WB40 and the Good Girl Confessional podcast. But another exciting thing that I did this year, so a friend of mine, Jo Pibus, decided she was going to launch a podcast for the first time at 55. She asked me to co-host that, so I'm now involved in a second podcast called Alex the Seal. It's so much fun. It's just a fun look at nostalgia and music, the music from the 70s and 80s and the music that that forged our lives. And I am loving it. I'm having a blast. So yeah, I think I'm just really proud that I'm constantly doing new things. And through doing this magazine, meeting so many extraordinary women, yourself included, that gives you so many opportunities. It's, It's just amazing. It's really lovely. I love that. We'll definitely have to get the link for what was that? Alex the Seal. Oh, Alex the Seal, which of course is based on the Go-Go's song, Our Lips Are Sealed. <laughs> it's quite fun. Yes. Again, I love a pun. <laughs> it's, it's quite fun, I'm going to say. 
Well, I also love 70s and 80s music, so I will definitely be adding it to my podcast rotation list. What is the big dream? Wow. Well, the big dream really, I guess, is to really grow in this media space and create a a much bigger space, I hope, for women. One of the driving forces, of course, as I said, is that there's a lot of women who have never been published, not because they can't write, but because they don't have those opportunities. A lot of women are incredible writers. They're quite creative. And because they're moving into a space, you know, an age group where they think, oh, I've always wanted to write, but I'm nervous or whatever. I think it's, I really want to create a media space that gives women opportunities. You know, we're about to launch our second digital magazine called WB40 in business, and that's a business magazine. And we put the word out. This is another thing I should have said. I'm very proud of this one. We put the word out and basically said, so this is the WB40 top 10 women to watch for 2022, who are over the age of 40, 50, 60 beyond. All of these women were nominated and it was a really tough gig. So we had over 150 nominations that came in for women over the age of 40, 50, 60, 70, doing incredible things. One of the women in our top 10 is actually Emmy from the the Silveries on Gogglebox and she was nominated by her gorgeous granddaughter and she's 93 and still doing incredible stuff and is now a television personality at that age. I think it's just extraordinary. So I'm really proud of that. So that's the goal, the dream is to just keep growing this this media platform. We hope to create a space for more and more women. We're loving that we're building a community of women. So we have a private Facebook group. People can actually, you know, subscribe online and sort of be part of of a community behind the scenes as well, which is really nice. And I think those things are really important to create safe spaces for women to share their views and their hard-won wisdom. And, you know, women, at, as they get older, I think should be revered for what they bring to the world. Absolutely. Oh, I love all of that. I love it all so much. And I'm not even a woman over 40 yet. Yes, but you're part of our tribe. And I mean, I think that's really one of the important message I should get out there too, is that a lot of the readers for our magazine, and I love this, we have a section in our magazine called DWB40. Remember like Dear Dolly? And women write in, they write into us to tell us what they loved about the magazine or things that they loved about the podcast or things that have inspired them about being over 40. And we often, we've had a number of letters from women in their 30s, which is so beautiful saying, I'm reading this magazine, I'm in my 30s. And one in particular, she said, you know, when I hit my 30s, much like yourself, she said, when I hit my 30s, I just thought, oh, I'm never going to be able to achieve all these things, blah, blah, blah. And she said, in reading this magazine, it just gives me great hope and I'm so excited about my future and about getting older now. I'm not scared about getting older is what she said. That to me was just like, oh, my heart. It's important. You know, I've got a daughter who's 24. I hope that we are leading by example to women like her and her generation and you and incredible women like yourself doing great things. You know, as I said, you've got so much time. There's so much more out there and it's going to be an amazing, exciting adventure. And I think the more we can get that message out that aging is an adventure, it's not the end. I think that's what's really important. Amazing. What is a resource, tool or system that you use in your business that you couldn't live without? There's so many, if I'm honest. So the magazine magazine is created on something called InDesign. Our podcast is actually recorded via a platform called Riverside FM. I couldn't live with that. I I really love that platform because when we started the podcast, it started out as audio only. But one of the big things for us was we wanted women to be seen and and how could we have them be seen. And so we started videoing this podcast with their permission. Of course. Of course. Throw that out there. 
And so we looked at a number of platforms, but Riverside FM is really, it's, it's actually a great tool and medium because you can use it even if you're just doing audio, but you can video and grab little tidbits. And I really like it as a platform because it actually videos say in, I don't know, sorry for everyone out there who d- doesn't care about this stuff, but it actually, you know, it's, it's HD basically, it's, you know, and it's very high quality. And I think that's what we liked about it. And it didn't matter where women were because we've had women on the podcast who are in the United States and in New Zealand and in the UK and everywhere around Australia. And so that's been great. I feel like, yeah, so there you go. There's a number of tools. But the probably the biggest tool, if I'm honest, is things like what we're using now, like Zoom, like Teams, to be able to communicate face-to-face, if you like, even though it's video, with really beautiful people all the time for meetings is really important. I don't think you get that same vibe as you do if you're on a telephone. If you're on your mobile phone, just talking, it's so different from actually seeing someone's face and their facial expressions. And if we weren't doing this via Zoom, I would have missed that incredibly fan-bloody-tastic eye roll of yours. And like, it's great, right? It's just beautiful. And your gorgeous smile, look at you. Yeah, I think that's important. So, yes, I think a lot of people hate video. They'd hate it. But I'm like, honestly, it is such a beautiful way to connect. Absolutely. I agree. And I think, you know, I don't use the full videos from my recordings, but I have them all in case I ever decide that I want to make a something out of them. But I agree. And I think, again, going back to sort of COVID and what, you know, something that we got out of that is we've got into a space where having conversations like this is really natural now. Because I do remember at the start of COVID, it was a a little bit weird. People just weren't quite sure about how to use Zoom and things like that. Whereas now it's, I mean, it's second nature and it's incredible because we can have conversations, you know, with people all over the world and and have these moments of, of pure connection without having to be in the same space. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of things like FaceTime as well, if you have FaceTime, for that very reason, because you get like an instant, oh, hi, there's your face. It's just really nice. I think it's very easy to and very quick to lose connectivity from people. And I do know, I've got lots of friends who are disabled, and I think it's really lovely that they're saying it's open to the whole world for them, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's one of the positives absolutely that's come out of all of of COVID is technology and our accessibility to technology and our ability to use it and learn it. We've been forced into it and I think it's brilliant. What is one piece of advice you'd give to someone listening right now who's thinking about starting a business or at the very beginning of their business journey? Do it. Just do it. It's that simple. But I think Absolutely think about what is your why. I covered that off before, but I do think it's important. Really think about what is it that you're, are you doing it for fun? Are you doing it to make money? Are you doing it to reach people? Who's your audience? What's your audience? If you're making something to sell, who's the buyer? You know, because I think often, and we're all guilty of this, is often we do things that we go, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this because I like it. But then you go, well, that's great. But who are you doing it for? And do they like it? I think that's really important. For me, you know, even with the podcast, thinking about that is, you know, who, who's the listener? Who is going to connect with this? And that's why for us, it was really important to have very diverse range of guests with different experiences and different thinking and, you know, different ways of expressing things, because I think we all connect in very different ways, right? But I think if you're going to start a business, I would always say, yes, do it. But really think about what am I doing it for? If you're doing something just for fun, honestly, if it just brings you joy, don't worry about anybody else, just do it. If you're doing something 
because you want people to listen or you've got a message or you want to sell a product, then just really think about who is that, you know. And for me, one of the things that I did, and it's a great tool, is to actually write like a little, uh, you know, almost like a bio, I guess, of that person. Create the person that you're, you're that you're selling to or that you're, who's your listenership, who's your readership, who's your your buyer, whatever it may be, for sure. It's good advice and it does, you know, that sort of buyer persona almost sounds like old school marketing 101, but it works. And it, it works. It, it yeah. will help you with clarity into what you're doing, how you're doing it and why you're doing it. So I 100% agree with that. What is an interesting fact, tip or insight about your industry that people might not know? Media is, I don't know if people really know this, but both media and the podcast world actually, universe, is very heavily male dominated. And I think there are some incredible women in this space, media space doing stuff, but there's probably not a lot of us. There's not enough of us comparatively speaking. So I, I think that's another challenge that we've had is actually overcoming that. Media is very much dominated by powerful white men. That's a reality. Of course, that's the exceptions to every rule, but everybody knows that. And I think that you basically do have to bang down more doors and you do have to be talking louder. I, you know, Kamala Harris, I, I just love that, you know, I'm speaking is a huge mantra for me. I think it's just important to not give up and to, you know, you don't have to be combative in that space, but you absolutely have to have a voice and you have to know when to stand. And quite interesting, even the feedback that we often get being females in this kind of media space is men making comments about, well, why aren't you interviewing men? Why aren't you whatever, blah, blah. You know, and for me, it's like because there is so much of that out there. Mm-hmm. There just is, you know, the, some of the biggest podcasters ever continue to be men and it is very much a male-dominated space. So I think it's really beautiful to see the rise of women, as I said before, in the podcast space and in the media space. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people really stop and think about that. And a lot of women, when I've pointed that out, especially about the podcast space, even though they're podcasters themselves, have said, oh, yeah, actually, hang on a minute, 80% of the podcasts I listen to are hosted by men and I say, and there you go. (laughs) I think since COVID, that's really changed. We are seeing, it's still dominated by men, but we are seeing a lot of female voices breaking through in both radio, in podcasting, in media spaces. I think it's so important. As I said before, we cannot be what we can't see. When we don't feel represented, we feel like we are less valued. So that's what some people may not realize out there. It's amazing. And it's true. I, I would like to say that I only have one podcast on my saved podcast list that is hosted by a man. <laughs> well done you. Most of mine are women too, I must admit. <laughs> and that is not to say that there are not some exceptional male podcasters out there. Of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Exceptions to all of the rules. Exceptions to all we, of the rules. We love them. We really do. Correct. And finally, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? How can they get their hands on your incredible magazine? Oh, thank you so much. Really just jump online. It's wb40.com. The podcasts are available there as well, but our podcasts are actually available on all of your favorite podcast apps, The Good Girl Confessional and Alex Cecile. And the magazine, yeah, you can check it out on the website. It's all there for you. Or you can subscribe to WB40 Extra, which is great. And you get extra content and live videos and all sorts of things. So 
we hope that you'll jump over to the website and have a look and everyone is welcome. And as I said, it isn't just women who are 40 and over. I think that we're tackling a lot of topics that are relevant to all women and I think that's important. Without the fear, as I said, there's no diets and no body shaming. So feel free. Amazing. I will, of course, link everything in the description so everyone can find you and connect with you. Do you have any magic words to leave our listeners with before we sign off for the night? I will just say, first of all, big, huge thank you to you. I love what you're doing. I think you're a natural and I think this is such a beautiful platform. So well done you. And advice for listeners, I would say, you know, stand in your own power, especially as women and especially as women in business and just just know that there's always support, help and advice out there. Never be afraid to ask for it. You'll be amazed who will step forward. And if anybody needs any advice or they've heard anything here that resonates, by all means, I, I welcome them to reach out to me as well. Amazing. Sandy, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I can't even say thank you enough, honestly. (laughs) Thank you. I think you're amazing. Thanks so much. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to share your own story or tell us what you think of this one, feel free to head over to Instagram and slide into my DMs. By the way, you're not going to want to miss next week's episode. I know I say this every time, but seriously, my next guest is kick-ass.